the thing that we probably forget with, with weight fostering or cross fostering, whatever you want to call it, we probably always focus on the negative and the ones that don't work and find they will be there. And there will be a couple from there that won't hit the weight. You will have variation as you have in every group of lambs. And the other thing I suppose we probably forget too is that, you know, it does take that extra bit of work in the first kind of 24, 72 hours when they're in the shed to make sure that the foster sticks and it's done correctly. Hello, I'm Kieran Lynch and welcome to Lovecast, the Chocolate Sheep Podcast. Each episode will bring you the latest insights, advice and technical updates for the sheep industry. Now, the point in the season where we're looking at how lambs perform and where the tail end lambs come from, we chat to Dr. Frank Campion about how foster lambs perform in commercial flocks. Frank discusses some of the work he's recently presented on the topic. We discuss how these lambs grow in early lactation, late lactation, the variation among them and their counterparts, and some of the reasons why they lag behind others, and why some of them lambs aren't successfully reared and drop off. We finish up the episode discussing how young management this autumn can have an impact on this next spring. We hear first from Frank. Every year, be it with hypernificacy flocks, be it with problem meows, whatever different things prop up, where we'll have a, a certain amount of surplus lambs or lambs that require being reared artificially or in different ways. And look, there's different ways of doing it out there. Look, for some lads, they'll sell their pet lambs and that works for them and that's fine. For more, they're set up to artificially rear them. They'll have some sort of a feeder, be it a, a basic bucket in a heated water bucket up to an automatic feeder. And that works quite well, too, as we've seen. And then for other people, there's the option of doing cross-fostering. You know, which is always can also work, and as I suppose one of the more debated options. But you know, all three options have their pros and their cons. Some lads will use a mixture of them, and I suppose the idea behind this was just to have a little bit of a, a look at the cross fostering on some of the better firms, just to see what well, how does it actually pan out for the lambs after after we get the job done. I think to be fair, probably like wet fostering, most will practice it to various degrees of success, but look, it's commonly out there. Question we probably all ask Frank is just what you touch on. Do those foster lambs get a fair crack at the whip? So maybe just like tell us what you've looked at and we'll take it through from there. Yeah, so look at what we've done is we've just taken them from over three years foster data from a number of the, the better farms where we've taken a yo who's had a single lamb and she's had a lamb from a triplet litter fostered onto her. And what we've done then is we've looked to see, you know, of those lambs, how many of them stayed up to weaning with the yo and then what their growth rates were like from, you know, birth to seven weeks which is traditionally our period where the lamb is growth rate has been driven by milk production from the O. And then from seven to 14 weeks when, you know, it's the growth rate has now predominantly been driven by the grass and our overall growth rate then from birth into 14 weeks when we're being weaned. You know, see, are those lambs getting a fair crack of the whip and are they actually, you know, growing in a in a successful manner? They're probably always going to struggle a bit for live weight because, you know, no matter how well we try and match up the live weight, there is usually some sort of little bit of a disparity. But in growth rate terms, they do seem to be able to grow at a, a reasonably successful level. Okay, so like we have to throw the caveat here first. These are ones that were successfully cross-fostered. This isn't one that was rejected in the pen and let out, which yeah. it's important to state that. So these ones have worked well. These are ones now, that have worked well, yeah. Even within that, Frank, there's going to be a few that will drop off. Yeah. Are Look, you picking up some of that in the variation in that first seven weeks? Yeah, so even within, within that, what we found is that, you know, of the lambs that were successfully without a pen where the farmer deemed the fostering had worked, you know, seven percent of those lambs were not with DO then at seven or fourteen weeks for postpartum. So and that's not to say that the lamb had died, but they had been pulled off and put in a different group. So you know, it's it, 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 it's either mortality or intervention. It's based. either mortality or intervention. And you'll have to, like with cross fostering, everyone who does it is not a hundred percent of them are going to be successful. There still has to be some level of intervention. Or after a couple of days or a couple of weeks, even you'll find that the, the fostered lamb maybe isn't able to keep up with the O and the single lamb, or she isn't getting a, f- a fair crack at it. 
However, what we did see is where they did get a fair crack at, while the the O's own land did grow grow quicker, significantly quicker during the first seven weeks, the fostered land was still growing, was still able to grow at quite a good rate and at a sustainable rate, uh, a rate that would keep the lamb alive and thriving. Look, a part of that difference in growth rate, just maybe tease out with you, like if, if we're talking here, we're going on to a single lamb, maybe six and a half kilos, a triplet, a three and a half, a four. Mm. Part of that is just going to be that physical ability to take in milk. We've, we've shown that before, the impact yeah. of birth weight in that first period. Exactly. That's been well shown with the impact of birth weight. You know, and we know that it, that'll impact intake as well and impact milking, you know, suckling ability and all like that. So that's what's driving that. It's not necessarily that the the fostering isn't working. That's a it's a physiological thing that already exists. So just then take me from seven to fourteen when milk is less important in that diet, we're more dependent on grass, is the variation as large? No, the variation reduces significantly then. And actually from, from your seven to 14 week period, what you actually see is that the growth rate of the original lamb and the fostered lamb, if you just look at that period, is very, very similar, almost the same. And the reason for that is, I suppose, that, I suppose that drive for milk or that milk that's driving performance has, has come out of it. And now it's just purely based on, on grass and what, the, what they're grazing. And that difference seems to disappear at, at that stage then. You know, and there's probably a number of reasons for that, you know, Firstly, as I said, the milk component has gone over. <coughs> uh, the lambs are kind of, I suppose, becoming more even in their physiological status, but also probably them fostered lambs are probably starting to graze that slight bit earlier because they're probably not drinking as much milk as the big single lamb. And that would have been seen before as well. So it, it takes us to another important point. Like come weaning time with those lambs, they're able to hit their foster basically birth type. So if it's a triplet going on, they're basically still hitting near the performance of what your regular twin lambs would be hitting by yeah, weaning. Exactly. They're, look, they're not going to be hitting their single performance, but they're coming very close to what you'd expect your twin lamb to do. Um, and, you know, any of those triplets that would have had a lamb taken off and she's gone back out with two other lambs, the fostered lamb where it's done successfully, she, that lamb is going to be very close to what its other two litter mates will be when it's done successfully. Um, I suppose the thing that we probably forget with, with wet fostering or cross fostering, whatever you want to call it, we probably always focus on the negative and the ones that don't work. And find they will be there, and there will be a couple from there that won't hit the weights. You'll have a large, you will have variation as you have in every group of lambs. And the other thing, I suppose, we probably forget too is that you know it does take that extra bit of work in the first kind of 24, 72 hours when they're in the shed to make sure that the foster sticks and it's done correctly. And to be fair, with the farms we're dealing with in this data set, and I'm picking on I'm thinking of two or three of them in particular, they did put a lot of effort into it, they had a very good system for doing it. I suppose that you get the rewards out of it. It doesn't suit everyone, but where it does suit, it can be quite a good way of doing it. But it's a hell of a lot lower cost of production than we see there, some of the other artificial rearmaments. Oh, look at it is, yeah, and that's one of the big pros to this. You know what I mean? Like the, it is a lot, a lot cheaper of a cost. Fine, there's a labour cost at the start, but if it works, it's a lot cheaper than for the rest of the the, the lamb's lifetime. So, frankly, we just maybe look at those that drop off or don't perform as well. Let's put that in context. How well did their own lamb actually do? Are we looking at yos here that potentially had the capacity for the milk yield or maybe struggling in other ways to carry that lamb? Is that is we'd suspect that's the reason why they're dropping off. How does the data bear out? Yeah, so look at Kieran, there's a trend for that to be happening that some of those lambs that dropped off a yo, their own lamb didn't do that well. You know, because she probably had other underlying issues and maybe she wasn't fit for cross fostering in the first place, or you know, she hadn't a condition on to milk enough for two lambs. And I suppose that comes back to body condition scoring. We're always talking about body condition scoring. It's very important at this time of year to be getting the O's right. But you see the effects of it right throughout the year. And, you know, there's probably a little bit of that coming through in this too. Yeah, look, I suppose, I suppose that really explains some of what we see that 
you know, if it's successful faster in the shed, you may be giving them a bit of attention for a couple of days. And after two weeks, when pressure starts to come on that yo and the demands increased by the lambs, they tend to drop off at that period. So that picking that yo rate, maybe looking after them is very important. Yeah, exactly. It is. You know, if you're going to do the cross fostering, you have to start start your prep early so that you're feeding them yo's correctly so that they're, you know, you don't they have some bit of condition if they have enough milk and the lamb down. You know, and it's it's a case too that if a little yo lambs out with a single, sometimes they might be always very anxious that oh I couldn't sit there to see her leave the shed with one. But if she's not fit for taking two, well then let her only let her off with the one, you know. You're only creating the work for yourself and you know, affecting your lamb performance. Look, Frank, it's it's an interesting bit to look at it kind of deals with some of the things we suspected before, but possibly the data behind them, I suppose uh, focus for the next couple of weeks is to try and get everything right with the O's so we maybe have less singles next year and certainly yo's in better condition. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And that's look at now's the time. Um talking to a group last week about this. It seems like it's miles away now. You're talking about lambing and winter feeding and lactation, all those things, but now is the time you start preparing for it. You know, and it's better to start late than to not start at all. So even if you're going to the ram in a couple of weeks, get on the continuous, start getting something back on them, you'll get the benefits of it for the rest of the year right through. Yeah, and look, it's amazing when you kinda of put that in context, it's gonna have an knock on impact on the lambs we have on farms at the moment. Yeah, it does, you know, and <laughs> We see, like, you're re- it's a really good time to think about when you're looking at the lambs out there and some lambs are probably jumping out of skin and you probably have some small lambs there and you wonder what happened to them. You know, some of those lambs' problems started last August and September before they were ever even conceived because the yos were put back in right condition going to the ramp and that was the time to get on top of that or maybe it was yos that weren't checked through properly here and, you know, just should have been called out of the system, passengers as you call them. You know, was there uh, yos there with bad others or bad spins that were let back in? and now you're seeing the results of it oh, it's an interesting look thanks Frank come on I appreciate that update no problem thanks for having me Karen. we'll leave it there for this week's episode it's an area of interest because it does highlight a couple of impacts that you management this all can have on our lambs next spring it also goes to show that if it is successfully done Boston lambs is a good way of carrying those surplus lambs through in any production system that's it for me for this episode again for updates from our sheep programme keep an eye on our twitter page at Chalk Sheep I'm Kieran Lynch thanks for joining us Don't forget to subscribe and follow us for more episodes.